Will has asked me to give some reflections on Central Methodist Church and this sanctuary. We are celebrating its 100th anniversary. It is etched in our minds that this sanctuary was built in 1913. And we will remember that those that year because we've thought about it so much in recent months. But as time goes by, the, the building of that date may fade in memory. But I can tell you it is etched in stone on the corner of this building with the marble uh, t uh, stone that says in Roman numerals, 1913. And when it said 1913, it, it brought to my mind what was going on in the United States in 1913. 1913 was the year the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was adopted, which legalized income tax. <laughs> before, before that time, the federal government had been financed by tariffs and excise taxes, and there was thought the need to have income tax. Earlier, the Supreme Court had ruled that an income tax was unconstitutional because the citizens in New York who had more wealth would be paying more than the citizens in South Carolina, and therefore it was unconstitutional. But to correct that, amendment was put into place. And with that amendment, the tax rates were 2% on the low side and 7% on the high side, and the federal government raised $78 million in taxes in that first year of income tax. But enough of that. Uh, I've been asked to talk about reflections and some of trivia and some of substance. My first involvement with the sanctuary of this church was my baptism. And would you believe I remember nothing about it? <laughs> but I do have an early memory uh, that came, uh, well, maybe a year or two after that. My family lived in a house across the street over here on the other side of Irby Street. And uh, one day I wandered out of the yard. Now, let's, let's you think I was some delinquent wandering the streets. At that time, Irby Street was a two-lane street. There were oak trees lining a big parkway between the street and the sidewalk, so I wasn't going across the horrendous traffic that's out there now. But I wandered across the traffic, uh, street and was playing on the granite steps of the front of the church when it was realized that I was missing and I was yanked home and, and given a, a punishment for wandering off. And uh, later, uh, a few days later, I was wandering down the driveway of that house, and my mother came running behind me, and I exclaimed, no, go to the church. I, so it's a wonder that I have survived in the church. I'm probably one of the few people that have been punished for going to church. Uh, my mother played the organ in the church. At that time, the church had no nursery for young children, so as a young child, I sat in the, in the choir loft, sometimes on the bench, sometimes in a chair, uh, squirming around. The church at that time had a white chancel rail here with a brass rail on top and a, a velvet curtain under it, and I would occasionally peep under the curtain to see what was going on and to be a little mischief. One of the choir members would slip me chewing gum to kind of settle me down. Uh, and I have a distinct memory of Ben Eastling being the one who did that. He died in World War II, as did his brother. 
So this church uh, had a big part in World War II with one of our choir members lost and another, his brother, also lost. But when I got past sitting in the choir loft, I moved my seat to the corner seat up here where Marvin and his family uh, sit on Sunday. And occasionally I'd let my bulletin slip over and fall down. But one of the things of sitting in that seat was that this church at that time was lit with incandescent bulbs in these arches here. And there was a bulb in every other of those rosettes. Uh, the, the, the alternate one was a blank. But over time, some of the bulbs would burn out and some of them would still be going. So if the sermon well, wasn't too stimulating, you could count the bulbs and do a ratio of how many were burning and how many were not burning. And if you wanted to get a little more in depth, the bulbs as they were replaced sometimes were of different size. So you could count which ones were this size and which ones were that size. Um, so the, the, and I have viewed that as an architectural error in, in how to uh, light a church. It was the, thought to be the way at the time the church was built. But it really was a distraction. And sometimes later they decided to put in these chandeliers. And when I heard that they were going to put in these chandeliers, I, I thought that might be a regular hanging from the ceiling and it might not look right. But would you believe when they originally designed the church, they put these segments in the dome and they were able to come back in and superimpose the chandeliers so that they in the center of this one and that and they symmetrically balanced with the ceiling that was never planned for those chandeliers. But they work and they function and they're not a distraction when the sermon is going on. <laughs> now, the dome, uh, there had been some mention of, uh, there might be a tour of the dome. There's a plastic ceiling up there, but there's a wood structure three or four feet above that before you get to where the ceramic tile is. And you can walk up there with a little boardwalk, but it is a boardwalk uh, area. But it is um, sort of shaky, and there's some loose insulation. But it's, when I do a mentor for some uh, confirmation joining the church, I take them up and show them firsthand the, uh, the dome. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just an interesting um, structure. <clears throat> a while back, they were talking about lighting the dome, and I had some uh, apprehensions about that. During World War II, the cross on the dome was lit with a yellow neon sign that outlined the, um, the cross. And they commented that people at McLeod Hospital looking out the window could see the lighted cross and, um, and get inspiration from that. That was only the windows that faced on, on this side that got that inspiration. But I think a yellow neon sign would be more appropriate for a Masonic Lodge than for a church. And so when we got around to talking about lighting the dome, it is truly lit like the dome of the Capitol in Washington and the dome of a state house where lights focus on it. So that today, the lighted dome, when you attend the um, <clears throat> Performing Arts Center or later the museum at night, you can look out and this church stands out as an architectural part of downtown uh, Florence. Now, 
the, the sanctuary has evolved. Uh, at one time, before the church was air-conditioned, in the summer, they put a tremendous fan that would be about six feet in diameter over here to try to cool, and it would make a warm, warm sign, and it would tremendously cool the people in front of it and not so well cool the people on down. These windows over here were originally frosted glass, and in the summertime, you could, you could pull them out and up. They didn't go up the normal way, but you, they came out and then up. Uh, and there was a time when the Gulf filling station across the street was an active filling station. And at that time, Highway 301 made a left-hand turn here, and they would occasionally change tires during the service. And they would bang on the rims of the tires and make a terrific noise. There were some negotiations with the church that would they please not change tires during the 11 o'clock hour. I really don't think that got in the way because if a tourist was on the way either to or from New York and to Miami, when they wanted a tire fixed, they wanted it fixed uh, then. The uh, continuing on around, the balcony seats were originally wooden. They are now cushioned. There was for a number of years a leak up in this corner over here, and the, the trustees have done all sorts of things to get it fixed, but I think it's now been, been solved. The trustees have done a good thing, that they have a maintenance program that keeps maintenance going continuously so that we do not have a cycle where maintenance drops off and gets to be horrendous problems, and then we come back up. It is a constant maintenance problem. One of the classics on the current maintenance is that those doors out front of oak, they are not the original doors, but when the last remodeling was done, they were replaced. But there is a good marine-type finish. You can have a yacht in a yacht basin with sun glaring down on the mahogany wood, and it can be maintained. And those doors, they're exposed to the eastern sun when it comes in, and no matter six months with weather, except they now have a finish that they put on them to keep them up to to um, speed. As we go on around, uh, at one time there was a corrugated door that closed off that balcony there, and it was where the men's Bible class met. Uh, the men's Bible class later moved to another place, but you could cut that door off. And I've often thought that um, this thing here looks like a door that matches this door. But the, I think the organ expansion has blocked that off as a functional door. Now, on the organ in the original church, there were artificial brass pipes that came up in a curve on this side and a curve on that side, and the same was true over here. But there was a feeling that they needed to enlarge the choir off so we could have larger choirs. So those things were cut in half, and, and this was um, pushed back and these functional pipes were put in. Now, I, I described the uh, light as an architectural error. There is an architectural error. These pipes up here are all functional, and the length of the pipe determines the tone of the note. And I understand that a pipe twice as long as another pipe is an octave. And you can put a collar on one like that, and it doesn't have to be twice as long, but that makes an octave difference. So that's why some have collars and some do not. But the original pipes were brass. These three pipes here and these three over here 
are artificial pipes because the two on either side are the same length and they're the same note. And that sort of bugs me that if the church ever does a refurbishing, I think one of those pipes ought to be cut off so that they will be three different notes and not etch in our mind that those are not functional pipes. Now, the pulpit that is here is um, new. The original pulpit in the church is now in the Davidson Fellowship Hall that was used tonight to, to make announcements. The original communion rail was replaced in the refurbishing of the church. Charlie Mitchell and his crew at Drywood Molding made a, a new rail, and somehow they made it about three or four inches higher than this, and after it was tried out two or three Sundays that it was an awkward, they realized that they hadn't figured it right, so they took it out and, and did it over and got it right. The uh, kneeling cushions on here have done, been done by members of the church. Uh, Francis did two of the cushions. The, every other one is identical, and then every other one is a special message. And on the back of each cushion is initials of who did the, the uh, cushions and Francis's initials on there in memory of her parents and one in memory of my parents. Our two daughters have been married in this church, and on those occasions, we brought the two cushions down and used them as a kneeling cushion at the ceremony. The sanctuary was at one time used for Wednesday night prayer meeting. As the programs of the church evolved, Wednesday night prayer meetings became what we have in the fellowship hall, which is a whole different format, but it shows that the church has the flexibility of the times to go from a Wednesday night prayer meeting to what takes place in the fellowship hall. Now, the beauty of the English language is that words have many meanings. And if you look in Webster's Dictionary, the meaning of church, the first definition given is a building for worship. And then it gives a meaning that it is typically a Christian church. But there's a third meaning that says that a church is an organization of, Christian, of religious people. And it's the organization that is important. It is the facility that is necessary in this sanctuary and the rest of our plant to keep it going. But this church has a strong organization. We can be grateful for its past. And as we celebrate the 100th year of this building, we're also celebrating the 100th year of the programs of this church knowing that it is a strong church today, but it has a great future. So I close my case that this is a great church and it has a great future.